Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, the first chapter, Matthew chapter 1. If you would like to use the Bibles that are there in the chairs in front of you, it's on page 679. We have been looking at this chapter this Christmas season and considering Christmas and family, particularly this passage dealing with Joseph's family. And coming to the end of this chapter and really focusing on the names, but on the birth of Jesus Christ as we remember that today. You know, we've had a number of of children born to families in our church recently. And with the birth of, of every child, there is significance. But the birth that's recorded in Matthew bears a special significance. You know, one of the questions that people have when a baby is born, usually the first is, is it a boy or a girl? And then very shortly after that is, what is his or her name? There's the question of the naming, and and parents tend to put a lot of thought into that selection. You know, on Monday, July 22nd of 2013, a royal heir was welcomed into the world in England. At that time, there was an element of intrigue because whether it was a boy or a girl, that baby would then be third in line to inherit the throne. Now, as of September of this year, that child is now second in line. And someone commented, that's a line that moves very slowly. (laughs) But even before the birth of that child, there was a lot of speculation concerning what would be the name of that baby. And when it was announced that William and Kate had a baby boy, then the conversation intensified concerning the name and also how soon it would be announced. In fact, there were wagers being placed as to what the odds were on the name of that baby. The anticipated favorite name was George at two to one odds. James was at four to one odds. King James does have a ring to it. And two days later, the designation was announced, Prince George Alexander Louis of Cambridge. Have fun writing that name in kindergarten. (laughs) But you know, actually that name was rather short from the standards of royal names. Three to four names is common, sometimes even seven to eight. But it was not something that they did all by themselves. There was a lot of political involvement in the selection of the name. George, named after Queen Elizabeth's father, King George VI. Alexander was not a royal lineage name. Louis had several family connections that were part of that. But that year, one of the most popular names in in our country, ranked number three actually in the last 100 years, according to the Social Security website that lists popular names, has not been used by a king in England since 1215. That's the name John. It's currently ranked 27 in in 2021 of popular names. In England, King John was not considered one of the favorable kings. In fact, he was considered one of the worst kings. And so that name has not been used in over 800 years. 
You know, names mean something. They carry an identification. I don't know how it was when you were picking names as a parent for us. We, we got baby books with lists of names. We went through those and, and thought, you know, who do we know by this name? You know, it's like, okay, I, you know, I knew a girl in elementary school with that name. I didn't like her. You know, cross that one off. And another one, I knew a girl by that name. I did like her. Cross that one off. You know, there, there's a lot of speculation that goes into that. And understanding what name do we want to repeat over and over and over again through the day. And and then looking at what these names mean. And and all of that comes into play. The, The point is that names are important. And particularly when you're thinking of a royal lineage, names are important. And so there was a lot of thought that had gone into that. What we find in Matthew is the naming of this baby. And I want us to consider this morning that question, what is his name? And we find that names are important, particularly in a royal lineage. And when we, what we find in Matthew provides his name, but also the baby's destiny. His birth, the birth of this child, the birth that we celebrate today on Christmas really divides history. We have B.C., before Christ, and A.D., in the year of our Lord. And, and we have it divided in that way. I know some that have tried to secularize it more by making it before common era and common era, B.C.E. and C.E. But what divides common era? The birth of Christ. And that really is the point of division. The the dividing point is the coming of Jesus Christ. You know, this month we've considered the lineage of David and we we are of Jesus, and we saw that as he's in the line of David and, and the amazing providential control of God. As you read through these opening verses of Matthew with names that we often just kind of glaze over and brush over because they're difficult to pronounce, but what we saw was was how God protected the line, that he could, he could judge sinners and yet still fulfill his prophecy. And then in that line to find outcasts, Gentiles, and, and sinful people that had turned and trusted in the God of Israel. And so we saw that, that really as you read through that, that, that history is his story. And that includes your history and my history. That God has a plan for our lives and is in control of our lives. Last week we considered the character and compassion of Joseph. And, and as he was called to be the adopted father of Jesus. And, and giving then Jesus the right to the throne of David. Today I want us to consider the question though, what is his name? And in this chapter we actually find three statements of what this baby would be called. And those statements concerning his identification are in in verses 16, 21, and 23. And what I want us to see this morning is that Jesus Christ came to identify with and redeem humans that we might have personal fellowship with God. That that really is his plan. And that history is his story. If you have your Bibles open, follow with me. I'm going to begin reading in verse 16, and we'll read through the end of this chapter. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. 
So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Let's look to the Lord. Father, as we look into your word this morning, we again would ask that you would work in our hearts, that we would not simply be hearers, but doers, and that we would see the joy of Christ Jesus coming into this world the names that identify Him, and the practical application there are for our lives today. And we pray that You'd work in our hearts. Your Holy Spirit would work that if there is one that doesn't know You, that they would know that Jesus Christ came to be their Savior today. We ask this in His name. Amen. In this passage, we find three statements of what He will be called. The first one we see is that He is the promised Messiah. It says in verse 16 that Jacob begot Joseph, and then it's very clear that's the husband of Mary, and that Jesus was born of Mary, and Jesus who is called Christ. The the official title, the word Christ actually means anointed. The the idea is the, the Greek equivalent for Messiah, that Jesus is the Messiah, that, that he is in the right line. And that's what the opening verses have told us, that, that he is the son of Abraham, he's in the line of Judah, and he is the seed of David. Now, I, I had noted when we looked at this that with the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in, in 70 AD, all the records have been destroyed. Those records that would trace the lineage of, of the various tribes of, of, of Judah and, and where they, that line would come have been destroyed, and yet Jesus is the only person alive today with a verified claim to sit on the throne of David. And we have that record here in Matthew chapter 1, we find it in Luke chapter 3 as well, that he is in line for that throne. The virgin conception and birth is a key teaching in this passage. And it deals with the issues of the source of the child that that really is a primary truth that's being emphasized. You know, last week I I, I pointed out there are several phrases that state or allude to this truth. We saw it in in verse 16. We find it here that that Mary, of whom was born Jesus. And and the, the of whom in the Greek is feminine. It's the feminine pronoun. So it's referring to Mary. In verse 18 it says, before they came together. 
And then later in verse 18, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And verse 23, the virgin shall be with child. And then verse 25, and and Joseph did not know her. There was no intimate physical relationship until she had brought forth her firstborn son. After that, there was that relationship, and they had other children. And we have the names of Jesus' stepbrothers that are given in Scripture. Now, why is this so important? Why is the virgin birth such an important aspect of the Christmas story? And there's several reasons for that, but one of them is it answers the unique nature of this child. That without the virgin birth, Jesus would not be the second person of the Godhead. Therefore, he would not have the power to forgive our sins. That he, he had to be free from the taint of sin. And we read in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. And so that through that seed of Adam, through the male line, there was that sin. Well, Jesus had to be without sin. So we are sinners both by birth and by choice. We, we, we sin because we are sinners And we choose to do that. But Romans 5.19 says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. So he was born of woman, but could not be born of man. And this is vital to our salvation. Galatians 4.4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So the virgin birth is necessary for the unique nature of this child. Secondly, it validates the inerrancy of Scripture. The Old Testament prophesied of the virgin birth, and the New Testament declares the virgin birth. Therefore, if it's false, then the Bible has no authority and is untrustworthy. And if we can't trust the Bible concerning what it says about the virgin birth, why stop there? You know, why, why not the rest of the miracles and deny those as well? And often the people who deny the virgin birth do that as well. You know, they, they want to claim that Jesus was a moral teacher, but even that would be suspect. Because how can he be a moral teacher if he misrepresents who he actually is? in claiming equality with God. If he knowingly misrepresents himself, then he's not a good person. And if he didn't know it, then he was self-deceived and delusional, and that is suspect. And this really is the the issue, and and C.S. Lewis stated in Mere Christianity, he said, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying a really foolish thing that people often say about the Christ, that I'm, quote, ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is not one thing that we are allowed to say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You cannot, you can shut him up for a fool, you can spit on him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. 
But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. I think Lewis sums it up very well. And it brings us to the importance of the virgin birth because it is the validation of the inerrancy of Scripture. And then a third one is it identifies Jesus as God the Son. At the incarnation, the incarnation means in flesh, incarnate. The, the, the Son of God became what He was not without ceasing to be what He was. He became man and remained God. And so we refer to Him as the God-man. He was not simply one of God's messengers, a, a, a prophet, an anointed angel or something like that. No, he was much more than that. He was not a human with some special godlike powers like a superhero. He was not like the Greek and Roman deities that, that had special powers, but they also were fighting with other deities and they had various vices. No, he, he was the God-man. And, and, it, and it really should not be difficult for us to grasp when we understand the supernatural nature and the power of God. You know, when, when we recognize this, and, and, and really we, we struggle, sometimes people struggle with the virgin birth, say, well, I don't understand that. Well, if we were to take various people from Scripture and ask them, how do humans get here? We could get a variety of answers. What if we started with Adam? Said, where do humans come from? And Adam's answer would be, well, you get some dust from the ground, you push it together, and God breathes into it the breath of life, and it becomes a human. And then we could go to the second person. We could go to Eve. She said, no, that's not it. You take a rib from a man, and God makes a person. And then we could go to their son, Abel. And Abel would say, well, the reproduction process is when a man and woman come together intimately, and, and nine months after conception, a baby is born. Or we could go to Zechariah and Elizabeth in the New Testament and, and God's intervention in, the, in a couple that were well past childbearing age. And God works and they bring forth a child. Or we could ask Mary, who's told a virgin shall conceive. Because it's the power of God. And God can do this. The first announcement of the virgin birth to Mary was actually met with a question. She said, how can this be? How can this happen? Since I don't know a man, I've not been intimate with a man. And the answer in Luke chapter 1, verse 37 was, for with God, nothing is impossible. And so we don't need to shy away from the virgin birth. In fact, there's no reason that we should do that because with God, all things are possible. For those who doubt, the real question ought to be for them, what? You mean your God can't do that? How embarrassing is that? And that's really the attitude of Jeremiah the prophet toward those who would doubt the power of God. And I, and I stress this because Christ's supernatural birth was necessary for our supernatural salvation. That's an important aspect of this. That supernatural birth points to our salvation. And the virgin birth is vital for that. That God can work in human weakness. He, he promised Abraham that he would have a son. Now Abraham and Sarah tried to take matters into their own hands. And God said, I can do this. 
In Judges chapter 13, an angel of the Lord appeared to a barren wife of Manoah and told her that she would have a son. And that son would deliver Israel from the Philistines. And that son was Samson. And so now the angel appears to Mary and also to Joseph and announces a special, unique birth that's not just going to deliver Israel from Philistines, but he is our Savior. And, I, and I'm stressing this because the, in, the virgin birth is such a vital doctrine. And sometimes people may wrestle with it, but understand educated unbelief is unsaved unbelief. When somebody says, well, I don't see how that can happen, but then we understand what the Bible says and who God is, we accept it by faith. We may not be able to put all the pieces together, but we trust the Lord because it's, we see what it says in Scripture. A God who cannot lie, and with God nothing is impossible. And the truth is, for those of us who have experienced new birth, that change going from spiritual death to spiritual life, accepting the virgin birth is not a problem. Because Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. The second thing, though, that we see is that He is a personal Savior. You shall call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. The, the Hebrew name, the, the, the form of the Hebrew name Joshua or Yahushua. Yahweh is salvation or Jehovah saves, Yahshua. And the, the statement there, there were, there were probably a number of Jewish boys at that time named Joshua. That was a popular name. It's still a popular name. In fact, it's number 20 in the last 100 years in America. Kenneth is number 21, in case you were wondering. In Luke chapter 1, verse 31, though, it says, the angel told Mary that she would have a son and call his name Jesus. And then it goes on in that passage and says, He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Highest. But it's Joseph to whom the angel tells him the reason for that name. Mary was given the name. You will call his name Jesus. He's going to be great. He's going to be the Son of the Highest. But when Joseph is told, he's told, You will call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. And in this, we see that being brought together, that, that his mar name marked the significance of his coming. Who is it that needs a Savior? Sinners. We do. And that Jesus identifies with sinners in order to save sinners. And that we, we need that. Mary needed that. It says in Luke chapter 1, verse 47, she declares, My soul has rejoiced in God, my Savior. You know, the Bible says nothing to indicate that Mary was born without original sin. That teaching is called the Immaculate Conception. And that's an erroneous doctrine. And it doesn't refer to Jesus. It actually is referred to Mary. But Mary said, He's my Savior. I rejoice in God, my Savior. And, and while she was most certainly a godly girl, she needed a sinner, a Savior, because she was a sinner. And the angelic announcement to the shepherds was, for there is born to you in the city of David a Savior, who is the Christ, the Lord. 
Now, when, when Joseph heard this statement, he shall save his people, I'm sure Joseph assumed that meant the Jews. Those were his people. And, and that's part of it, but it's a much bigger plan than that. Because what we read in John chapter 1, he came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. But it wasn't just for the Jews that Jesus came. Because it goes on to say in John 1.12, but as many as received him, to the, them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. And yet that was the accusation made against Jesus. This man receives sinners and eats with them. You know, they wanted a Messiah, but they wanted the Messiah on their terms. They wanted a Messiah who would come and, and, and free them from Roman rule that would, would do what they wanted. You know, that's not a lot different than people today. They celebrate the birth of Jesus, but how often is it on their terms? But that accusation is wonderful news for us. This man receives sinners. That's great news for me and for you. I need a Savior. You need a Savior. That accusation is what encourages us. Jesus came to save people from their sins because we are not able to save ourselves. We're not able to enter the presence of a holy God by ourselves. There's, there's no good works that we will do that will be good enough to outweigh our bad works because even our righteousness is like filthy rags. And so the doctrine of the incarnation or the in, incarnation is really defined by the atonement. 1 John 3, 5 says, And you know that He was manifested, that He appeared to take away our sins, and in Him there is no sin. John, 1 John 1, 14, 4, 14 says, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. And so 1 Timothy 1, 15, This is a faithful saying and worthy of acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Well, how does He do that? How, how can that barrier be removed? How can sinners be reconciled to God? Well, the penalty for sin had to be paid. What is that penalty? The wages of sin is death. There's an ugliness of sin that's not something that we really want to ponder, and especially on a festive day like today. And yet this is what's unusual about Christmas. It makes it a special day. We celebrate His supernatural birth and His supreme victory on this same day today. We actually meet on the first day of the week because of the resurrection when He rose triumphant. And yet today we're also celebrating His birth and bringing those together. It's a wonderful day on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day on Sunday, to be able to remember His birth but also the triumph of His resurrection. It kind of brings together the sentimentality of the birth of the baby Jesus and intersects it with the success of His sacrifice. What is His name? Jesus, the Christ. Why did He come? To save His people from their sin. So yes, Jesus is the reason for the season. But sin is the reason we needed this season. And Jesus is his human name. Christ is his official title. But the third name describes who he is. It speaks of the presence of God with us. He is the presence of God. 
Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. That's, that's actually a transliterated word. It's not actually translated. It's, it's taking the, the Hebrew and moving it into the Greek and then into the English. M-N-L. L, God. Elohim. El Shaddai. God, Anu, us, M, with. Literally, with us is God. The translation provided for us, God with us. In Isaiah 7, 14, it says, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. Name is also used in Isaiah 8, 8. And what we see is that Christ's coming reveals God's grace. What an amazing blessing. That the the holy God of heaven would dwell with us, with sinful people. The Puritan Thomas Watson said, Sin has turned beauty into deformity and the wicked takes more care to have his sin covered than cured. But Christ came to cure us of our sin. And so John 1.14, which we considered in our Christmas Eve service last night, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Revelation 21.23 tells us that in the new Jerusalem there will be no need for the sun. It says, for the glory of God illuminates it, and the Lamb is the light. And that's available now. We have that offer to us today. It says in in Hebrews 13, I will never leave you or forsake you so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? The joy that each of us, if you have trusted Jesus Christ, He's with you, Emmanuel. The Lord is your helper. He will strengthen and encourage you. What are you facing that you need that promise. And we see as well that Christ's coming reconciles sinners to God. God with us. It actually takes us back to Eden. It takes us back to the garden where, where God walked in the garden and fellowshiped with the humans that He had created. And then after the fall, the first prophecy of Christ's coming foretold was that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. But we know that the seed comes through the man. Thus again, the need for the virgin birth. And the, even in that first statement of the gospel in Genesis 3.15, pointing to the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Later in the Old Testament, you found in the tabernacle that, that God would come and dwell in the Holy of Holies and, and the nations would be around that, the, the various tribes, but they couldn't approach And now Jesus comes, God with us, to deal with our sins. I've mentioned before that if we look at creation and we see the heavens declare the glory of God, but what we really see is we see God above us in His power. If we look at the the law in the Old Testament, that thou shalt not, we really see that God is against us because we have broken His holy law. If we look at Jesus, we see Emmanuel. God with us. If we look at Calvary, we see God reconciled to us. 
And if we look into heaven, if we, if we gaze up into heaven, we see Christ sitting, interceding for our sin, God for us. What a wonderful picture. That God is for us. He's not against us. It's not that somehow we have to hide. No, He sent His Son to die for us. But understand that Christ's coming must be received by faith. Joseph responded in faith, as did Mary. Mary, Mary had questions. How can this be? It wasn't a, a question that, of disbelief. It was just not understanding. And with God, nothing's impossible. When Joseph believed and obeyed, he trusted and obeyed, it changed his life. And that faith was not easy. Everything he did in life was impacted by the birth of Jesus Christ. But he responded in faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Faith honors God, and God honors faith. And, and yes, it was inconvenient for Joseph. He had to go to Egypt. He had to, all of his decisions were made, but inconvenience is never an excuse for disobedience because God gives us the power. Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Christ will strengthen you. Even the weakest faith receives the strength of Christ. As the disciples said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, or the, the man who had come for healing. Do you sometimes feel like that? Okay, Lord, I believe, but I, I'm struggling. It's not my, the strength of my faith. It's the object of my faith. That I can trust in Christ alone. And so even the weakest faith receives the strength of Christ. And so Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's where our hope is. It's in Christ alone because it says in, in Acts 4.12, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That name is Jesus Christ. Jesus the Messiah. It says in Acts 13.23, from this man's seed, that is David, the son of Jesse, according to the promise God raised up for Israel a Savior. What is his name? Well, he's the Christ, the Messiah. You will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Is he your Savior this morning? Have you recognized that that baby born in Bethlehem is the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ? Have you trusted him personally, by faith alone, because of his grace alone? Do you know that joy of salvation? Because at the name of Jesus, it tells us in, in Philippians, every knee will bow. You will either bow before Him in humble surrender and trust Him as your Savior, or you will bow before Him as, as judge. And if you have trusted Him as your Savior, then you've experienced Emmanuel, God with us. Is He with you this morning? If not, we would love to be able to point you to Christ through God's Word. Let's pray together. Father.